You're listening to the official podcast of Resurgence Initiatives, inspiring people to arise together. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com. Well, welcome to Resurgence, everyone. It's so good to have you all here tonight. Um, I'm just going to start off by introducing myself. My name is Donovan. I joined staff at Resurgence in August, um, full-time staff. And it's my first time preaching at Resurgence, so I just thought I'd tell you all a little bit about myself and my role here and uh, introduce you to my family, my children, and my wife. Uh, They're not here with us tonight. My wife is a wedding photographer, and today is her last wedding of the season. Um, But uh, she she misses you, and she wishes she was here. Um, But yeah, so again, like I said, my name is Donovan. I was a pastor at McKernan Baptist Church for eight years. Uh, I was a young adult and worship pastor. And uh, my heart is really to see people meet with Jesus, to see Jesus transform people, set people free, and uh, reveal himself to them and to have their whole lives transformed by him. My heart is to see people completely sold out for Jesus. And, uh, and I have a, a heart, too, to see the city of Edmonton change, to see God move not only in local churches, um, but in a way that local churches are experiencing a move of God together, that revival would come to the city uh, to the point where, like, we see in Ephesus when Paul... It goes to Ephesus. There's so much revival in the city that um, the, the economy changes because nobody's buying the stuff anymore that, that was sinful, right? Like, that's the kind of heart that I have, to see God move in such a tangible way. Uh, and I love the city of Edmonton. I've lived here most of my life, and uh, I, I just know that I'm called to the city. And so when I felt like God was leading me to step away from my pastoral role at McKernan, um, the only thing that I really wanted to do is work for a surgeon's. And so I reached out to Travis last year, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen. We weren't sure if it would work out. Um, but I really felt strongly that I was supposed to leave my job in McKernan either way. Uh, and so I took a step of faith. I, I actually spoke on faith at a resurgence, I think it was like in February or March of last year. And uh, I was able to say I'm taking a step of faith, but I wasn't able to say what it was at the time. And that step of faith was leaving my job. Uh, like I said, I have two kids. Uh, my wife, we... We depend completely on my income, but I felt like God was saying, you need to leave your job, you need to take a step. And I took a step of faith, resigned from my role at McKernan, and it was crazy because I hadn't heard anything official from Travis when I resigned, but this is the crazy thing. The day that I resigned from McKernan, like the day it went before the board, Travis called me that afternoon to say, hey, we want to hire you at Resurgence. Like, it was absolutely wild. And so it was just such a confirmation that uh, God is in this. And my role with Resurgence is Associate Director. And uh, so basically, I'm going to be helping so that Travis can dream more big picture. And we really want to get more into missions and get into sending teams places. And Travis has a real vision to keep going up north and keep pouring into to places and cities. And we believe Resurgence is bigger than just Edmonton. We believe that all of Canada shall be saved. And we want to be a part of that. And uh, we just believe Resurgence is just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And so I'm excited to help him with that. And my role is going to be really looking after what's happening here at Edmonton. So I'm going to be really taking over more of what we're doing at the gatherings and, and really like trying to network with, with churches in the city and really just believe for God to do something amazing in Edmonton. And so uh, I'm really excited about this role and this job. Um, yeah, a bit about myself personally. I really love this, this, this coming to preach and leading worship. I really love those things. 
But I have a pastor's calling and a pastor's gifting. I love walking alongside people. And so if you're part of Resurgence community and you just want to meet and chat and talk about life, you need someone to walk alongside you with, I would love to go on a walk with you. I'd love to meet with you. And so feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I'm available to this community and I'm excited to walk alongside you and help you understand and grow in your walk with God. Um, so a bit about myself personally, you can go to the next picture. It's my children, Ava and Daniel. Ava, I know they're pretty awesome. Ava's turning four, or Ava just turned four, and Daniel is turning two. So if I'm not getting back to you really quickly, it's because I've got my hands full. Um, they're pretty much full all the time. Uh, but yeah, so I'm married to Kirsten. Like I said, she's a wedding photographer, and she also has a huge heart for revival. She has a huge heart to see God move, and uh, she's excited to walk with me in my role at Resurgence. And uh, before we hop into my message today as well, uh, when Travis wanted me to send greetings. He's in Dubai right now. How awesome is that? He's at the uh, Global Evangelist Summit, which is pretty cool. I actually saw a picture of Travis with Daniel Kalenda the other day, which was pretty sweet. Um, but uh, he says, I'm speaking on being kingdom-minded tonight, and one of the things that he said when, when he was texting me, he's like, it's just so timely that you're talking about being kingdom-minded because God is doing something globally that has never really been seen before, where churches are coming together, ministries are coming together, people are coming together to believe that God is about so much more than just an individual person, an individual platform, but he's about bringing people together to see a move of God in the world like we've never seen before. Can we believe for that? Yeah. Amen. So yeah, Travis says hi, all that to say. And he also posted, a, <laughs> he posted an Instagram of him and Jess at the top of the Burj, I don't know how to describe it, like that really tall building, the Burj Khalifa, and it's like 40, was it 45 degrees or something he was saying outside? Just crazy. Um, but yeah, he's having a lot of fun. Anyways... That's that. So yeah, like I said, today I'm talking about being kingdom-minded, and this is a huge part of my heart. This is something I'm really excited about. Um, kingdom-minded, like Megan said, is one of our guideposts. It's one of our values. And um, we don't really think in terms of kingdom a lot. You can go to that picture with my wife in it. There's one picture with my wife. Uh, this is when we were in Europe. Now, who's been to Europe before? There's something about Europe, there's something that we see a lot of in Europe that we don't really see a lot of here, and that's castles. There's literally castles everywhere in Europe, these massive, old, beautiful buildings. And uh, these are a couple different castles that we had the privilege of visiting. They start to all look the same by the end, if you've done the castle tours before. But uh, we, uh, one of the things that's different about Canada, different about North America, is we don't really have this grid of king and kingdom. Uh, we, we didn't really grow up with this idea of, of a king. Like, we do have a queen. We have a representative of the queen in Canada, but it's not like we consider ourselves subject of the queen, right? Like, we don't really have that mindset. Um, but biblically, and to the cultures that the Bible was written, this whole idea of a king and a kingdom was something that impacted every area of their lives. It's something that was very important to them, and it's something that they understood and so um, being kingdom-minded, what does that actually mean? Uh, we're going to take some time today to answer that question. And again, before we do that, I just, I'm going to pray. Uh, and just to be completely honest with you guys, this has been a really tough week for me personally. Uh, today was my cousin's funeral. She passed away last Friday uh, in Chicago. And so it, uh, it's been a really heavy week. And, uh, and so I'm in that place of just really needing the Spirit to lead. And so I just want to encourage you guys while I pray to pray for me, um, that the Holy Spirit would really take these words and really use them to impact us. So let's pray and then we'll hop into what is the kingdom. Oh, God, I just thank you for your word and the power of your word. 
And I thank you for the promise of your word that when we are weak, you are strong. And so, God, I just come before you tonight just in that place, Lord. I, it's been heavy, it's been hard, but I really felt strongly that I was supposed to do this tonight. I, I really felt like you had a word for tonight. And so, God, I, I just come as your servant, and I just say, Lord, I want what you want. And, God, I just pray that the words that you put on my heart, the, the passages you put on my heart, the stories, the ideas, God, I just pray that it would come from a place of uh, just truly wanting to see you transforming us and making us more like your son. And God, I, I pray for um, just that our hearts would be engaged. Lord, even during prayer this, morning, this evening right before the service, just a few different people said, we're just praying that we'd be like the soil in the parable of the sower, the soil that is ready to receive, the rich soil, that much fruit would be born out of this tonight. So I thank you for what you want to do, what you want to say in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wanted to start off tonight by looking at what is the kingdom of God. It's one of the things that Jesus talked about more than anything else. And like I said, we, we don't have this idea of kingdom very much in our culture. And so we're going to actually, what I want to do first is trace the idea of the kingdom through the entire biblical story. Because the king and a kingdom is an idea that starts at creation and it ends in revelation. Like, it's a story that is everlasting and eternal, and every page of the Bible pretty much drips of this language of king and kingdom. And so I, I've kind of created a grid for you guys. You can actually go to the grid. Uh, so what we're going to do is look first off at what is the kingdom biblically, and then we're going to go into what does it mean to be kingdom-minded. So that's the plan for tonight. Uh, it's going to be a little more like teaching at first, and then we'll get into preaching afterwards. Uh, but what I wanted to do as we trace this, the, the idea of kingdom through the scriptures is look at specific stories in the Bible, specific moments in the Bible, and see what themes we can pull out of them. Because the cool thing is the themes that we see actually apply to all the stories, if that makes sense. And so the first idea of king and a kingdom is that the, this idea of, of the kingdom of God is a story that we see throughout the entire Bible. Uh, God's kingdom is everlasting, and God is king. God is king. Psalm 145, verse 11 to 13 says this, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. God's kingdom has no beginning. God's kingdom has no end. Earthly kingdoms all have a beginning and an end. But God's kingdom is everlasting. The next story we look at is in creation. In the creation story, we see that God's kingdom is, is ultimately, and in a lot of ways, about relationship with his creation. God is a king, but his, the people that he's created are his subjects. They are his friends. They are underneath him. We see this kingdom language already in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. When he creates humans, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is kingdom language here. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And again, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God, in his very, in, the, the original intent for creation was that we would have dominion with him, that we'd be in relationship with him, that we would be underneath his rulership, representing him to the world. 
That was part of God's original intent, that we would have dominion, that we would be representing him. It doesn't mean that we become the kings and queens, but it means that we represent him as the good king and queen. He created people to represent him under his rule as king. And so what happened? Man sinned. Man turned away from God. Sin entered the world, broke relationship with God. And uh, what we saw is people moving further and further away from him. And so God still had this idea of kingdom, still had this idea of co-laboring with his creation to represent him well. And so what did he do? He called a man named Abraham. The calling of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Again, this is all about kingdom. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you, or I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse, and all the families of the earth through you shall be blessed. And so God says, my people, the people I've created, the people I want to be their king, they've moved away from me, and so I'm going to call a man. The man's descendants are going to be a blessing to the entire world. They are going to show the entire world what I'm like. They are going to make my name great in the earth, and they are going to, to, to see the people, the nations coming to know me through them. That's the calling of Israel. God's always had a heart for the nations. He's always had a heart for the people. He didn't choose the Israelites. He didn't choose Abraham because he just needed a favorite. He chose Abraham because he wanted a nation to represent him so that the other nations would want to come to him as well. I had an amazing Old Testament professor in my uh, year at Bible college. Did anyone else go to Columbia Bible College? Anyone? No? He, everyone that goes to Columbia knows, will know exactly what I'm talking about. But he, um, my Old Testament professor, he said that the calling on Israel, the calling on Abraham was that they would be wow weird. That, that the nations would see the way that they lived and they would say, wow, that's weird. I want to be a part of that. We're just going to live differently. We're going to be a blessing. And the crazy thing is, this is the same calling, I think, that's still on us, that's still on the church, as we are called to be a blessing to all the nations. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So the next thing we see is in the Exodus story. So what happens? Abraham has some sons, and his family starts to grow, and then eventually his family moves to Egypt where they become slaves, right? I'm really expediting the story. But his, uh, Abraham's descendants, God said, you will bless the whole nations, but now you're living as slaves in Egypt, right? It looks like they're so far from this whole idea of blessing the whole world. But... God rescues the people from Egypt, and he, um, and, and he basically starts to establish them as a nation after his heart. And through the story of Exodus, we see that the kingdom is all about salvation. Entering into God's kingdom is about moving from slavery to freedom. It's about moving from darkness to light. It's about moving from bondage to victory. That's the kingdom of God. We see this throughout the whole scriptures. When people move into the kingdom, when they enter into the kingdom reality, when they come under the rulership of the king, they come out of slavery into life. We see this in Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. It says this, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. This is the important thing here. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
These are the words that you are to speak to the people Israel. So the kingdom is about redemption. Kingdom theology must be redemptive. When kingdom is divorced from redemption, it ceases being kingdom, and it becomes social progressivism or social conservatism or political, the betterment of the world and culture. It, it's about redemption. It's about being saved from the power of sin and brought into the power of freedom, a power of Jesus. And I love the language in Exodus 19 where he says you're a kingdom of priests. And what that means, priests were the ones who mediated the blessings of the Lord. And so when God said to his people, you're to be a kingdom of priests, what that means is that it's actually the job of those who are in the kingdom to mediate the blessings of God to the world. And so people should be coming to church and they should feel more blessing when they come to church than anywhere else. It should be the place where they experience the blessing and the power and the goodness of God more than anywhere else. Because we're a kingdom of priests. The next story that we see is um, Israel decides that they need their own king. They look at the nations, they look at all the people surrounding them, and they say, oh, these guys have a king, we need a king too. Um, but what we learn under this, what we learn here is that um, God actually desires to be our king. That any earthly king falls under the, the rulership of God. And uh, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, or sorry, 1 Samuel 8, I don't have the actual verses here, so I'll have to look up there. 8 verses 6 to 9, it says this. So this is, the, this is the people of God asking Samuel for a king. This thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, this they are doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them, and the ways of the king will, and you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. And in 21 and 22, it says, When Samuel heard all the words of the people, he repeated them to the ears of the Lord. But the Lord said to them, Obey their voice and give them a king. Samuel said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. And so the people of Israel, they wanted an earthly king, but God said, if, we, if I give you an earthly king, you're not going to like it. The king's not going to do a great job. He basically warns them, but they say, no, we want a king anyways. We want to be like the nations. But remember, the original calling of Israel was to be wow weird. It was to be different from the nations. God didn't want to have a human representative king. He wanted to be their king. He wanted to have priests, and he wanted to have prophets, and he wanted to have people that would represent him. He, but, but he said, you don't need a king, you have me. But they rejected him. And so the theme that we see in kingdom theology is that God desires to be our king. And so what, what happens when Israel gets a king? The kings keep screwing up again and again and again. They keep messing up. They keep leading Israel far away from God. And we see this pattern. There'd be a few generations of kings that would be really bad. They would really reject God. They would really sin. And then you'd have one king. There'd be revival. Everyone would come back. They'd, they'd get back to God. And then again, there'd be rejection. And uh, this cycle just kept going on and on and on. And what we see is uh, the nation of Babylon. Well, first it's the nation of Assyria comes in and they destroy a lot of Israel. And then the nation of Babylon comes and basically picks up the pieces and they take Israel into Babylon. So this nation that was great at one point, this nation that had its own king, this nation that had armies that was doing really well, was now in exile. They were taken over by another nation and brought in to Babylon. Babylon. 
And what we see in exile is that God's kingdom is continually over us even when we're under a different kingdom. God, we are ultimately under God's kingdom. We see this in Daniel 2, verse 44. In the time of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. There's this amazing passage in Jeremiah, verse 29. It's probably one of the most taken out of context verses in the entire Bible. But Jeremiah 29, so this is Jeremiah speaking to the exiles in, in the, is, the Israelite exiles in Babylon. He says this, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent to Jerusalem, to the, exi- the elders of the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken from exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, this is from verse 4, to all of Israel, to all the exiles, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So Israel's in exile. They've been taken over by another nation and brought into this place. God doesn't say go there and like try to mess them up. God doesn't say go there and try to seek power over them. God says seek the welfare of the city, for in the blessing of the city you will be blessed. And so God's kingdom continues even when we're under a, a ruler that is completely opposed to God. That's a theme that, that we really need in this day. Because it's really easy for us to think only if we have more political power, then God's kingdom will move forward. No. God's kingdom moves forward when his people live as his subjects and seek the welfare of the city that they're in. Seek the blessing of the city that they're in. God will move. He does move in exile. We see some of the most incredible moves of God happen when Israel is under Babylonian captivity. Because that's where the Israelites finally get serious about God. That's where they finally realize, oh, this is important. Oh, we really need God to be our king. Seek the welfare of the city. Now we're going to get to the verse that's taken out of context. From verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So God's promising them, I'm going to set you free from exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That verse that we take out of context, when you look at it in context, it's almost better. It's like these people that are are like so caught in this place where they feel like they're far from God or where they feel like they're, they're not where they're supposed to be. God says, I will find you there. You will find me there when you seek me with all your heart. I see you. I know you in exile. I see the faithfulness that you have in exile. I know the plans I have for you and their plans to prosper you. But again, in context, the prosper comes as we seek the welfare of the city. The prosper comes as we seek to be subjects of him as king even though we're under a different earthly king. And so the theme we see in exile is that we are under God's kingdom ultimately. The next story is the story of Jesus. Jesus' incarnation, life, and ministry tell us that God's kingdom is here now. 
God's kingdom is here now. Luke 17, verse 20. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. In the person of Jesus, this kingdom of God, this idea of being under the reign and rule of God, personified in Christ, the kingdom of God was here. The kingdom of God is here. In Mark 1.15, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, your kingdom come, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. In the gospel of Matthew, Jesus mentions the kingdom over 50 times. This whole idea of the kingdom is here now was a really big deal to Jesus. And the amazing thing is that when Jesus would proclaim the kingdom, he wouldn't just say the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God would manifest in the midst of where Jesus was. People would be healed. People would be transformed. People would be set free wherever he went because that's the kingdom. That's the reality of what Jesus carried. And so when he preached the kingdom, those things happened. And I believe that that still happens today. And we're going to take some time in a little bit tonight to pray for healing because when Jesus would preach the kingdom, he would pray for healing and people would get healed. And I think that still happens today. And so we're going to believe that as, I, as we preach the kingdom tonight, as we look at God's word and, and pull out all this idea of God's kingdom, we'll see this kingdom manifesting in our midst because God's kingdom is here. The story continues. Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He pours out on his, his spirit and the church is born. The early church is the next story where we see kingdom theology and we see through the church, we see through the book of Acts that the church is the expression of the kingdom of God. That the, the way that Jesus chooses to establish his rule and reign here on the earth is through the church. There's no plan B. The church is plan A. I'm going to get really passionate tonight when we talk about the church. In Acts 15, verse 15 to 18, we see this. Um, and with the words of the prophet agree, just as it is written, this is, um, this is, sorry, this is uh, Barnabas and Paul teaching about what happened when the church was established. After this I will return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen, I will rebuild its ruins, I will restore it. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. And so Peter is saying that that. The, the tent of David, that's this idea not, of, not only of God's presence, but also of, of a king. The tent of David will be restored. So this idea of kingdom is now being reestablished through the church. And through the church, we see the remnant of mankind seeking the Lord and the Gentiles who are called by my name. What's so incredible about that idea of Gentiles is that the Gentiles were anyone who wasn't an Israelite. And so God's saying again, my kingdom's not just for the Israelites, it's for everyone. And the church is the way that that gets out. And it's the way that we invite people in. Another thing we see in Acts 5, verse 12, we see the, the manifestation of the kingdom coming through the apostles, through the early church. It says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. Many signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. So the same things that were happening when Jesus was on the earth... The same manifestations of the kingdom that were happening through Christ are now happening through his church. Jesus promised them that. 
in John, he says to them that you will do greater things than I was doing when you seek me, when you do it for my glory. And the final thing we see, this isn't a contradiction, but it sounds like one at first. We see in the book of Revelation, this whole idea of eschatology, it's a word that's a little scary. Eschatology just means the study of the end times or the study of the last things. We see that God's kingdom is coming. So we have this idea, yes, God's kingdom is already here in Christ, but we can look forward to God's kingdom here in fullness, and it is going to be so amazing. It is going to be so beautiful. No matter how horrible things get, we have a hope in Christ Jesus. I, I witnessed the funeral of my cousin who was a year younger than me today. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would have been able to process that if I didn't have 100% assurance that I'm going to see her again. I don't even know how I would be able to, to cope with that, how I would be able to, to, to even be standing here in front of you today if I didn't have that assurance, that hope that I will see her again because this kingdom is coming. This kingdom we can look forward to. Revelation chapter 11. I told you we're going right from the beginning to the very end. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. There was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And so it paints this idea of, of not the, the world being raptured away and God destroying the earth, but this idea of God's kingdom invading the earth so that his name is proclaimed across the entire planet. Um, reestablishing his presence in, in a way that, that, was all, that, that it was at the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world. That's the promise of the kingdom. That's the good news of the kingdom. The last page of the Bible, Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So again, it's not the world getting destroyed. It's the world being made new. It's heaven coming down to earth. This is the kingdom we look forward to. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. And death will be no more. There shall be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. That's the hope that we have. That everything we go through in this life, all the pain, all the hurt, all the questions, God has a plan for it. And that plan is that his kingdom is going to come in fullness and in power, and he will be our king. We can worship him. We won't have to worry about death anymore. We won't have to worry about pain or sin or sickness anymore. And that's the hope that we have. And so I hope that you've seen kind of the whole story of kingdom taken through, through the whole Bible. I, I know I kind of blitzed through the whole story of the Bible. Uh, hopefully that was helpful for you. Um, but uh, I want to encourage you today, and, and I hope that we, we've seen this through this, is that the kingdom of God is not about God's people having power over others. It's not about having political power. It's not about having economic power. It's about laying down power. It's about laying down ourselves for the service of our king. My, uh, for my master's degree, my, the, the professor that was my kind of, the, the one who took, took us through the whole degree, he wrote a book. Uh, it's called Seeking a Lasting City. 
And he writes this amazing quote. He says, the church, God's kingdom, does not exist to make all the rules, to be in charge of others, to glorify itself. It does not seek its own privilege or comfort or preach only about the good life, nor is it simply a support group for those who have already been saved. Rather, the church forms the very stage upon which God's salvation is enacted and embraced. Citizens of God's kingdom are those who eagerly and willingly enter the suffering of creation with the redemptive love of God. What an amazing, <laughs> I just love that quote. It's so good and so powerful. And it just speaks to the reality of who we are as kingdom people. That we're not called to just to have power. We're called to, to be with people. We're called to be a blessing. All these different themes that we just saw, that's still the themes of God's kingdom today. And so with all of this in mind, for resurgence, for Edmonton, what does it mean for us to be kingdom-minded? What does this look like for us at Resurgence? You can go to the next slide. Uh, we see kingdom-minded as one of our five guideposts. It's one of our five values. And, and I love the language that we put underneath it. We are united as an expression of God's kingdom. And so what, what that's trying to say is for Resurgence as a ministry, we exist not just to, to we're not just a, a local church. We exist to unite local churches together because coming together in unity, coming together in love is an expression of God's kingdom. And we believe at Resurgence that we can do way more together than we can do as individual parts. The sum of, of all of us together is way stronger than the individual parts. And so we believe that when we unite, when we come together, we can see God do something beautiful, something amazing. And I love that kingdom-minded is one of our values because it, it speaks to we're not just trying to build resurgence, we're trying to build a kingdom. Like, we don't care if resurgence is this huge ministry and everyone knows about resurgence. I don't care about that. I just want to see revival in Edmonton. I don't care if people know my name. I just want to see God move and, and people come alive to the reality of Jesus. And so today, and kind of where I want to go for the last little bit here, you can go to the next slide. This is what I believe it looks like for us to be kingdom-minded, is that at Resurgence, we want to be kingdom citizens who love Jesus and live out kingdom mission. Or sorry, love Jesus' church and live out kingdom mission. Let me just say that again. At Resurgence, we want to be kingdom citizens who love Jesus' church and live out kingdom mission. I'm just going to unpack that, and then we'll be done. Um, but the first idea is that kingdom-minded people are citizens of God's kingdom. <clears throat> now remember, we looked through the whole biblical story, and we saw throughout it, this idea of king and kingdom was present throughout the whole story, and um, th this whole idea of being a citizen means that's where our allegiance is to. That's where we belong to. Whenever we go somewhere, we represent that place, right? Like, uh, if you think about it, um, when, when we were traveling in Europe, for example, like, you tell people you're Canadian, and, and the way that you act, the way you treat people is how they would associate Canadians, right? And so you meet somebody, you know, like, and, and who's ever been traveling, especially in the U.S., you, like, you tell them you're from Canada, and they're like, oh, do you know so-and-so from Toronto? It's like, I do not. You know, like, Canada's really, it's really big, you know. But uh, the reality is, like, when you're a citizen of a place, you represent that place when you go somewhere, right? Like, uh, I don't remember, there's this, like, whole idea of if you sew a Canadian flag on your backpack, you'll get treated better because people have good... Um, good idea about Canadians across the world. Like, that used to be a thing when I was younger. Um, but the reality is a citizen represents and belongs to a place. And so as citizens of God's kingdom, we represent and we belong to God as king. Philippians 3, verse 18 to 21. 
says this, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our body to be like his by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is not of those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So first thing, as citizens of God's kingdom, we worship our God as our king. He is our king. What does that mean? Kings determine what their kingdoms are like. And so when God says he wants his church to function like this or that, when God's word says he wants us to live like this or that, as God's subjects, as his citizens, that's how we live. That's how we live. This is in contrast to the kingdom of the world. Remember, we saw that in the scriptures. There's this whole idea of of clashing kingdoms and colliding kingdoms throughout the Old Testament, especially when they're in exile. But when they're in exile is actually when they were purified and made more holy. And in contrast to the kingdom of the earth, God wants us to be citizens of his kingdom. And we are living in such a, like, culture is clashing with the kingdom right now, the kingdom of God, in such a profound way, and it really makes me sad. Because what we're seeing is this idea of secularism, which is there is no God, humanity is God, you know, finding life comes from inside me, not from a God or creator, And the ultimate goal of secularism is to have the kingdom without the king. It's to have all the promises of God, all the things that God says, this this unity, this life, this freedom, this, um, this joy, this happiness, all these things that God promises us. When we want and seek those things apart from him, that's secularism. We want the benefit of God's kingdom, eradication of racism, eradication of slavery. We want peace. We want help. We want joy. We want the benefits of God's kingdom without the willingness to worship him as king. That's secularism. That's the great lie of our age, is that we can actually have those things that God promises us without submitting to how God has called us to live. And what happens when we do this is we make the kingdom in our own image, not in the image that God has for us. And what starts to happen, and I know this is a slippery slope argument, but what starts to happen is we start to define reality and truth based on our culture and the culture of subjectivity, the culture of um, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and we no longer live under the kingdom of heaven. Romans 1 says that we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Do you know what the ultimate lie of Satan is in Genesis chapter 1? The ultimate lie of Satan is this. Did God really say? Did God really say not to eat that fruit? Is that what God really meant? That sounds a lot like what I'm hearing in culture right now, in the church right now. Did God really say that there's a hell? Did God really say all of these things? We start to doubt. We start to let subjectivity enter in. We start to say maybe there isn't moral truth and moral absolutes found in God's word. We start to make the kingdom in our own image. And we enter into secularism. We fall into the lie of secularism. I know this is a little bit of a bold and a tough word for tonight, but I think this needs to be said. We have the truth. We know the truth. 
And when we seek the things of God without submitting to the truth of God, then that's where things start to, it just doesn't work. So what does it look like to be citizens of God's kingdom? Jesus' ministry was the perfect expression of what it looks like to be a citizen of God's kingdom. We see this in Matthew 4, verse 23. It says this. Jesus went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and affliction among the people. So Jesus, he was a perfect citizen of God's kingdom. He carried communion with the Father. He lived out of communion with the Father. He was completely subject to the Father. We see in the book of John, Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. And so I just get this idea of like whenever Jesus is in a place, he's just like, God, where do you want me? What do you want me to do now? He's just completely subject subject to his will, completely subject to the Father. And again, the, the kingdom, Jesus' ministry wasn't just proclaiming the kingdom. It wasn't just, hey, we have this freedom, we have this life, this good news that you're looking for apart from God. It actually comes from God. He, he didn't just say that, he actually demonstrated that. And so the sick were healed, the dead were raised, people were changed and transformed by the ministry of Jesus. J.P. Moreland says that the kingdom of God is primarily the reign, rule, or authority of God himself. Secondarily, it is the realm in which that rule is exercised. The gospel of the kingdom is the idea that the direct rule of God is available now to all in and through Jesus Christ. And that once, that we may live from the power of that rule in the realm of the kingdom. Among other things, the concept of the kingdom brings us to center stage, the supernatural power of God over disease, death, and darkness. And so we have this, this we're taken into this place where, where we believe that what God has intended for us in heaven, like what I read about in the last things, that we have access to that now. And so before we move forward, I, I want to do something. Um, like I said, when Jesus would proclaim the good news of the kingdom, like miracles would happen. It just kind of like wherever he went. And so what I want us to do is if you have sickness in your body or you have pain in your body, I just want you to stand up. I know that's like super, maybe super awkward or uncomfortable, but like if you need healing from something today, just stand up. I'm not going to make you do anything, you know, or how about everybody stand up? This might be easier. Everybody stand up. And if you need healing, raise your hand. Is that easier? All right. All right. Now, if somebody near you is raising your hand, just extend your hand towards them and just start to pray, God, manifest your kingdom here in this place. Just everybody, just pray, God, bring your healing right now. In Jesus' name. Yeah, God, we just believe, Jesus, that your presence is here, your kingdom is here, that it is available to heal, Lord God. And so I just pray for those brothers and sisters in this room now that have their hands raised. Right now, Jesus, bring your healing power. Manifest your healing presence in Jesus' name. May you manifest your presence, God. I pray for, uh, for backs that are hurting, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would bring them into alignment and bring your healing, Lord God. I pray for ankles, Lord God, that may be hurting or broken, Lord Jesus, that you would bring your healing power right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, we're believing for full healing, God, for full healing, God. Just keep praying. Keep praying, those of you who are praying. Hmm. Yes, your kingdom is here, God, and we thank you that the presence of God is presence to heal. And we just, we receive that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. If there's anyone that got healed or anyone that felt something change, 
I want you to like wave. Anyone? Anyone? If not, it's okay. We got a few I'm seeing. God's presence is here and he's good. Let's continue to believe for that. And so first off, we, we worship God as king. We're citizens of his kingdom. We follow the life and ministry of Jesus and how we operate. Next, our thinking is in line with the kingdom of heaven. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a backwards kingdom. Jesus taught so much about his kingdom, and he used language a lot of the time like, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. He used language like, if you want to gain your life, then you gain your life by laying your life down. He used language like, those who want to, um, the, the, if you want to be free, you carry your cross to follow me. Like, this, the kingdom of God we need to come into alignment with G how Jesus defines kingdom and what that means. We understand that it, it's not always what makes sense in this world. It's not always what makes sense in, uh, in, in the culture that we're in. And finally, this is really good news. Romans 14, verse 17 says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or what we drink, but of righteousness, of peace, and of joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And, and we can truly receive those things and walk in those things when we see and understand our place and our role as citizens of his kingdom. When we worship him as king, when we say, I'm not going to agree with the kings of this world. I'm going to fall in line with what he says. And um, I just want to say something... Uh, there's kind of this like popular thing right now happening, especially through social media, of deconstruction. We're hearing a lot of like popular Christian thinkers or, or old, old um, Christian musicians kind of leaving the faith, and they're going through this process called deconstruction, and they're basically like tearing apart their faith, and they're trying to say like, and almost like build it back in a way that actually fits the culture. And I just want to say tonight, that's super dangerous. When we start to deacon, it's not, it's, and I'm not saying we shouldn't have doubts and we shouldn't have questions. I'm not saying that we should just like blindly accept the way things have always been. But what I'm saying is that we need to have God's word be what defines our relationship with him, not the culture. We shouldn't be discipled by TikTok. We should be discipled by God's word and by a local pastor. And I, 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 like, feel this so strongly tonight. And I felt like I literally grieve over what I see some of my friends posting. I'm like, how can you think that and even be saved? And, like, the problem that I'm seeing with this deconstruction movement is that people are taking their process and they're making it public. And it's actually really dangerous. <laughs> Again, this is Super Bowl. I can't believe I'm saying this. But, but Jesus said, he said, he gave a very specific warning to people who teach. And he said that if you lead little ones astray, it's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the ocean. And so when I see people posting stuff to Instagram that's like leading people astray, I literally think of that. I'm like, why are you posting this? This is actually leading people astray. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have your doubts. There's a lot of things in our culture that, that, that we need to seriously have conviction on about what God's word really says about. There's a lot of things. And so have your doubts, have your questions, but don't, like, publicize your doubts and questions. Don't, like, think that you're trying to change anyone else's mind just because you're in this process means that everyone else should be. Like, it just really scares me when I see some of the stuff that people post, and, and I'm like, why are you using your platform for this? Like, have your doubts, but have it in a small group. 
Have it in a group of people that, are, that love you and want the best for you and know God's word and are going to speak truth and life into you. Don't, and don't just, and the other thing is we need to have people who are, who are seasoned in God's word walking with us. Because part of the problem with social media is it becomes an echo chamber where it's like a bunch of people who don't know anything about the Bible are posting a lot about the Bible and then they think they're all right and we're all wrong that actually do. And, and it just really scares me. And sorry, sorry if I'm being a little bit bold, but this is really scaring me. And again, it's this whole idea of secularism. We want the kingdom without the king. And it's in the church. So let's just get it out and worship him as king. So the first thing about being a kingdom person is that we are citizens of God's kingdom. The second thing is that we love Jesus' church. We love Jesus' church. Um, this one, again, is going to be, hopefully it's not too intense, but um, I love the church. I love the Big C Church. Uh, I love Central Baptist Church. I love McKernan Baptist Church. I love the Pentecostal churches. I love the Mennonite churches. Um, I, I'm this kind of weird breed where, I kid you not, when I first went to a Pentecostal church, my parents said to me, don't let anyone pray for you. <laughs> Seriously. Because there was so much like suspicion about the pen, oh, they'll pray for tongues or something like that. And um, the crazy thing is that now my parents are like totally spirit-filled and love the Pentecostals and they want to see God move in that way in their own church. But aside, so I was raised in a Baptist church, pretty conservative. I had some very spirit-filled, loving, charismatic friends in junior high and high school. Uh, and, um, and I would hang out with them over dinner and they would just talk about Jesus in a way that I'd never heard before. I was like, man, I love when these people talk about Jesus. They actually know, they talk about Jesus like they actually know him. And, you know, we'd be praying for the dinner and all of a sudden they'd start praying in tongues and I'd be like, what the heck is happening? <laughs> like, I couldn't reconcile this. I'm like, they're praying in tongues, but they're this awesome? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like that. But I had this desire to know God. I just wanted to whatever he had for me. That's literally my life story. I just wanted what God had for me. As, if God's got it for me, I want it. I want to grab hold of it. I want to take it. That's why I come forward in every altar call that ever exists, because I just want what God has, whatever it is. And so that was my story. And then, um, so I went to a Mennonite Bible school, which was kind of hilarious, because I got spirit-filled at a Mennonite Bible school. And um, I was, I just, again, I found this group of people that loved Jesus. They loved him so much. They spoke in tongues. They believed in the spiritual gifts. They believed in prophecy. We would spend time, like, praying for one another and, and praying that, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, and all this amazing stuff would happen. And so um, from there, um, I ended up going to Vanguard. So a Baptist going to a Mennonite school and then a Pentecostal school. And it's funny because I was, like, the Baptist at Vanguard. <laughs> like, everyone knew me as the Baptist. I was, like, offended by the chapel sometimes. <laughs> like, that was... You know, that was still who I was. Um, and then from there, I went to a Church of Christ seminary, which is, like, even more conservative than Baptist, believe it or not. Like, they don't even have instruments in their, in their worship services because they think they're, like, you know, too glorifying of themselves. But anyways, that's an aside. Um, and so my whole life has been this, like, kind of weird merge of different denominations and different experiences, different streams. Like, I've been in those, I've been in, like, really charismatic places, just absolutely insane conferences to, like, very conservative, reformed streams. And what I found is that we really, ultimately, all agree on way more than we disagree. Ultimately, the church of Jesus Christ is, is united by the cross, by the resurrection of Jesus, 
by love for God, and again, by being citizens of his kingdom, and, and all the other stuff, all the fluff that divides us, doesn't really matter all that much. It doesn't. Like, I, and, and, and I say this as someone who's been at both extremes. Personally, I've been convicted because I've been on one side and wanted everyone on that side to be on this side, and then I've been on the other side and then wanted them to come back. Literally, I've been all over the place. But I can tell you, it doesn't matter. The denominations, all this stuff doesn't matter. Jesus unites us. We are all citizens of God's kingdom. And being kingdom-minded means we love his church. It doesn't mean that if I'm part of a Pentecostal church, we have truth. Everyone else just needs to find our truth. No! I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir because I'm at resurgence, but the, uh, the reality is that kingdom-minded people love God's church. Big C church. Again, like I said, the church is God's plan A for salvation of the world. There is no plan B. Uh, again, resurgence exists to unite the church, to bring churches together. That's why I'm so excited for this week of prayer and fasting that Megan alluded to in January. One of the things we're kind of brainstorming is, is there a way that we can meet at a different church each night of the week that's a different denomination and actually like have a different denomination lead and, and help, help uh, express prayer in a way that's consistent with their, their beliefs and their denomination and then in unity, we'll all join together at each one of those churches each night of the week. Like, how cool would that be? So I believe that, that as resurgence, we exist to kind of see these things happen. But there's a mindset that I think we as people who are part of resurgence can carry where we love his church. 1 Corinthians 3.17 is actually a really scary, scary verse. It says this. If anyone destroys God's temple, so he's talking about the church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is all about divisions in the church. Paul's saying, don't be divided. Don't let things get in your way. If you look at the, uh, the, the, the New Testament and all the letters, one of the most consistent commands in the letters is do not quarrel. Don't argue with one another. Don't make petty things important things. Don't let things divide you. Love the church. God's plan for, the, for salvation for the world is the church. And um, so first of all, we love God's whole church, the Big C Church. But the second thing is, and this is really important, we need to root ourselves in a local church. Everyone needs to root themselves in a local expression. There's no perfect local church. There's no one church that's got it all figured out, like I just said. Um, but we all need to root ourselves in a local church. And uh, there's actually a guy I follow on Instagram that, uh, I know I'm going, maybe I'm, I'm not being discipled by him, but he's got a lot of good things to say. Uh, his name is Nathan Finocchio. And uh, he did this amazing Instagram story called 52 Reasons Why We Gather. And so I'm going to share a few of these, and hopefully it'll encourage us to like, if we're not part of a local church, to like, commit to a church. First off, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The Bible says that we need to physically gather together. It says in Hebrews 10, excuse me, let us consider how to stir, or sorry, yeah, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible doesn't say to gather less. The Bible says to gather more. Come together more. And I'm not talking to people that, with, with this pandemic, this has really kind of made things difficult and awkward, and I realize that I'm not trying to say to somebody who's like immunocompromised or legitimately should not be gathering with other people that you need to go to church right now. You need to wait. I'm talking to those people who've gotten more comfortable watching church from their hot tub on a Sunday morning <laughs> that don't want to go to church because it's like way easier to just watch church online. I'm just part of Elevation Church in North Carolina. Like I've talked to people that are like, yeah, I just go to that church. Like, you know, no, you don't. You need to gather. <laughs> like, go to church. <laughs> all right, here's some more reasons. I'm not going to read them all because 52 is a lot. But the next one is this. God shows up in unique power at physical gatherings. I'm just going to blitz through them so you can just follow me on the slides. God shows up in specific places and spaces of his choosing. Physical places matter to God. This next one's really important. God thinks of me more as a people than as an individual, redemptively. So all the promises of God, all the things we see about the kingdom of God, it's not the Bible, the understanding the Jews and that people had, it was not just about individual salvation. It was always about participation in a people. So God thinks of us more as a people than just individuals. Next, I love this one. At home, I'm a rolling stone. At church, I'm a living stone. My priesthood has its purpose and practice in the spiritual house of the Christian gathering. The next one. In the New Testament, the church is always referred to as the universal, invisible, or visible body of believers, past, present, and future, and a local gathering of believers with elders. A Christian doesn't exist outside of the gathering in the Bible at any time. Next, the Holy Spirit manifests unique church-building gifts in the gathered context. Next, the gathered church is how I receive God's leading and how I honor God's leading. Next, the corporate gathering is where God plants me for long and sustained growth and fruitfulness. The gathered church is where the spirit consciousness, the seed of revival, is sown. The gathered church is the father's house that the prodigal returns to. The older brother spirit stays out of the father's house. That one's convicting. The gathered church reaches the city. And this one's really good. The gathered church is known uniquely by its local shepherds and receives faith specific for its situation. What I love about this one is this goes right back to what I was talking about earlier. Are we being discipled by TikTok or are we being discipled by a local church pastor? The local church pastor knows you and loves you and wants the best for you. That guy on TikTok has an agenda. They have, this, they have like a, a plan, a political spirit in a lot of ways. But in the local church, that's where we find people that we can trust to lead us, where we actually submit to the leadership of a pastor, to the leadership of elders. It's really important. And finally, the gathered church is where I practice biblical unity. Unity is one of the most important expressions of God's kingdom. When God's kingdom comes, God's people are united together. Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 21 to 23. I think I have this on a slide, yeah. He says, I do not ask for these only. So he's praying for his disciples first, and now he starts praying for everyone. I do not ask for these only, but for all those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may be in us, so that the world may believe 
that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know you sent me, and love them even as you love me. This is Jesus' prayer. Jesus is about to die on the cross, and what is he praying? He's praying for unity for all of the people that are going to believe in him from the t- that time forward. What that tells me is that we should really, really care about unity. Unity should be really important. Um, Francis Chan just wrote a book called Until Unity. And if you want to read a book that makes you question if we're even saved, I'd, I'd encourage you to read that book. <laughs> Francis Chan just has a way of doing that. Um, but his book is amazing. And he says, and one of the things he says in this book is that we have thousands of denominations and ministries. Each one believes their methodology or theology is superior. But the saddest part of this is that our Savior was crucified to end division. He commands us to be united, and he says the way we impact the world is by becoming one. What we have to offer the world is our unity and our oneness and the love that we have for one another, where we have different generations, different nations, different, different people gathered together as one. Where else do you see a room filled with like little children to people that are in their 90s from every culture than the church? You don't see it anywhere. When we come together in unity and as one, the world will know the love of God. It's in the Bible. Jesus died for our unity and Jesus prayed for our unity. So how do we foster unity? What do we actually do? Um, One of the biggest things that we do is worship together. Because you know what? When we all come in the same room and we sing the same worship songs, that unites a room like nothing else. I loved the, how many people were at the first burn that Resurgence did? Like, that was a long time ago, like 10 or 11 years ago. We did 50 hours of worship. And what I loved about that event was that we had like, I don't even remember the stats. We had like 16 or 17 different denominations represented. We had like, um, we had like 20 churches or 25 churches represented of all people coming and leading in worship. And um, we had probably close to 12, 1,300 people gathered throughout the 50 hours. And, and what was amazing is there was no quarreling in that 50 hours. There was no like, oh, the Pentecostals do it better than the Baptists in that 50 hours. <laughs> it was unity. We just worshiped for 50 hours straight. We just said, God, you are good. You are faithful. You know, some of the worship teams were really loud and some of the worship teams were really quiet. It didn't matter because we were there to lift up his name. Worship unites us. And so when we worship... When we worship, it it brings our hearts together as one. And um, we're going to end with a song when I'm done called We We Won't Stop Singing. And it's just a simple chorus. We won't stop singing until the whole earth looks like heaven. It's this whole idea that as we sing and as we pray, we're united together and heaven comes when we worship him. Francis Chan, again, he says this, our lack of praise may be the biggest cause of our division. It's hard to start an argument with someone who's on their knees shouting praises to Jesus, especially when you're busy blessing the Lord as well. Many of our problems could be reconciled if we discussed our concerns on our knees before a holy God. We can't allow the enemy or our enemies to interrupt our praise. Worship is our path to unity. How do we foster unity? Worship. Next, we eliminate quarreling. We eliminate quarreling. 
Uh, I read this amazing book called Winsome Conviction. It's called How to Disagree Without Dividing the Church. That's the subtitle of it, Winsome Conviction. And they talk about how, um, I'll just read the quote, they say, persecution actually strengthens the church. Intellectual and cultural challenges deepen our faith and stimulate our theological thinking. Ethical commitments that conflict with culture make us stand out as salt and light, or at times provoke us to purify our own lives to become better salt and light. Quarreling, on the other hand, is insidiously dangerous because it kills us from within. And so what they're saying is that when we quarrel, when we're at each other's throats as Christians and as movements and as denominations, it's actually killing us from within. Whereas persecution, like exterior pressure, can actually strengthen us and form us. And I wonder if that's what happened when, when Israel was in exile. There had been so much quarreling and so much division amongst them, but as soon as they entered into exile, now all of a sudden they had to unite. There was unity. And so one of the, um, one of the really practical ways to do this, this is super important, you guys. We need to distinguish pers personal conviction for matters of personal taste. The goal of our convictions is to guide our conduct so that it's pleasing to Jesus, not to guide the conduct of others. And so what this means is that the things that, um, the things that are convicting to us, the things that are, are, are we believe that are, it may be something simple like speaking in tongues, maybe a personal conviction that we have, just because another movement maybe doesn't have that same conviction. It doesn't mean that we're superior to them or, we have a, or we're better than them or, or they need to discover the truth that we found. It doesn't mean that we can't talk about it in love and unity or encourage them to ask the Holy Spirit, but it means that we, we can dwell in, in unity together even though we have different convictions. It's okay. Another thing is understanding the, 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 the big T truth the things that are actually like doctrinal truth, doctrinal statements, things like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene's Creed, things that like the, the divinity of Christ, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, salvation, all these things are like, I, I think they're, they're black and white. <laughs> we need to distinguish those things from lesser things. And the lesser things that may divide us or cause, or cause quarrels amongst us, we need to not have those things bring them up to the same level as salvation issues. And so, like, if it's a matter of, like, only singing hymns at church, some people make that as important as Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. We, that's just, that's not unity. But we do that, too, on the other side. If it's like, we only sing new songs, or we only sing this song, or we'll never sing a Bethel song, we make that as, as important as Jesus' resurrection and pouring out of his Holy Spirit, that's where disunity happens. And so we need to, um, yeah, we really just need to, um, to realize the, the black and whites, the most important things, and not make the secondary items primary items. Another thing, and this is in Titus. How many people can remember the last time they heard Titus in a sermon? Um, Titus 3, verse 9 to 11. This one's another scary one. I'm sorry for all these scary verses. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So this is avoid all those secondary issues. Don't let them get in the way. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I don't know that I can say it more strongly than that. But here's what I want us to get out of this. We need to be protectors of unity more than protectors of truth. 
Because oftentimes, again, it's our conviction that may not necessarily be a primary conviction. When we make that a primary conviction, we become heresy hunters. Anyone who doesn't agree with this or anyone has a different theology, I'm just going to post a video on YouTube or share a video on YouTube that talks about why so-and-so is a horrible sinner. That person, as it says in Titus, we need to have nothing to do with. We need to be protectors of unity. It's super important. And so, we're going to get to the fun stuff here. I know I've been, uh, hopefully not like, I'm not trying to be convicting in like a feeling bad or like I'm hoping none of us feel like weight, but what I'm hoping is that we see how some of the like worldly influences are seeping into the church. We say, we don't want anything to do with that. We want to be what Christ is calling us to be. And so again, kingdom-minded people, what I want us to be as resurgence people is citizens of God's kingdom who love Jesus' church and finally live out kingdom mission. We live out kingdom mission. So the mission of Jesus, what Jesus did while he was on the earth, we continue to do now as his followers. We see this in Luke 9, verses 1 to 2. He called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over demons and to cure all diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So Jesus did that with his original disciples. He said, you guys have the same authority that I do to go and heal. And in Luke 10, the same thing. Luke 10, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out ahead of them, two by two, into every town where he was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then he says this, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So Jesus says, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Then he says, go. And so not only are we called as Jesus' disciples to just live out kingdom stuff here in the church, we're called to go, to carry it, to live it out in the world. And I just uh, I want Jeremy, my good, good friend and brother, to come and just share about how he's seeing God's kingdom breaking out in some really unexpected places. So yeah, I'm going to have him share a bit. He's also the guy that's collecting the socks. So if you brought socks tonight, thank you. And he can tell you a little more about that. See, the kingdom is about being ready and willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus wherever we go. Amen. Not just in our church, but everywhere we go. And so I've seen God move in supermarkets as much as I've seen him move in the inner city and, and tending to the needs of the homeless. I've seen God move um, in family gatherings just as much as he's moved at our churches or a youth event or whatever it is. And so I want to share a couple testimonies with you. And I haven't always felt this way and I haven't always moved um, in these giftings, but I always desired them. And so if that's you tonight and you desire to move in in some of the giftings that we read about, prophecy and praying for the sick and, and seeing them recover through the power of Jesus Christ, I want you to take a hold of that tonight. There's nothing really special about me. Um, I'm just a son. But that's enough. Or you're just a daughter. And that's, that's more than enough. And so when we realize who we are in Christ, we can start to walk out the gifts of the Spirit. And so Donovan asked me to share um, probably one of the craziest testimonies I've ever encountered. And I was in this place. Who knows where Sangudo is? I think it's like, half an hour away. Somebody knows. So I was there and I was with a ministry team and uh, anybody ever done a treasure hunt? 
right, so I was on a treasure hunt and I was with some friends and we all got the word Main Street and hardware store. And so Sangudo is not a very big place. <laughs> so we went to the center of the city and center street and we were just hanging out and I was just drinking coffee. I mean, you'll see me, I'm just usually drinking coffee and just listening and seeing what God's doing. And my friends encountered this woman and, and she needed prayer and they, they prayed for her and they gave her a nice prophetic word. And I'm just kind of chilling and, and all of a sudden this movie screen pops out and I'm not really that quiet. So I'm like, whoa, bro, did you just see that? It's like, shh, Jeremy, we're praying. And I was like, okay, well, I'm like, I'm gonna watch the movie screen. And I watched this movie screen and it's this woman. And on this screen, she's in her house, drinking alcohol and taking pills to take her life. And it was about 10 seconds and the movie screen disappears. And I'm like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Everybody else, their eyes are closed, they're praying for this woman. And I approached her and I said, you know, this is pretty, pretty bold and pretty crazy. Um, but I feel like you left your home and you made a statement to God saying, if you are real, you're going to send somebody to meet me before I make it back to my house. And her house was two minutes away from the store. We literally stopped her and her house was like a minute away. And we were able to minister to this woman and share the hope and love of Jesus Christ with her. And she opened her bag and it was filled with oxycodone and a bottle of Jack Daniels and she was going home to take her life. See, that's being kingdom-minded. See, we have to be ready in the word of God, hearing the spirit of God. And then we have to be willing to step out with what he shares with us, with what he tells us, with the people that we encounter. I have tons of stories of being in the inner city and just handing out coffee, something very, very simple. And this man runs up to me and he's like, hey bro, how much for the coffee? And I'm like, man, I'm like, it's free. And this man starts to weep. And I was like, bro, it's not even that great, great of a cup of coffee. <laughs> this is what I'm thinking. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, it's probably cold. Like, but I'm like, OK. So I go one step further. I'm like, man, like, seems like this cup of coffee means a lot to you. And he says, yeah. He said, I woke up. I I'm, I'm living in a tent just over there. And I woke up today with $2.50 in my pocket. And I had a choice. Am I going to take the bus or am I going to get myself a cup of coffee? And he said, I really wanted that cup of coffee, so I was going to walk 10 to 12 blocks to where I needed to go. And as I walked to the bus, I walked by you handing out a cup of coffee. I said, you know what, man? I came all the way from Spruce Grove that day just because God wanted me to give you this cup of coffee. 
that simple, just being obedient, kingdom-minded. And this man accepted Christ on the spot. And I have tons of stories like this. That's what it is to be kingdom-minded, ready and willing to do what God has called you to do, what he's asked you to do. Can you tell us about your socks for hope, quick? I can. Um, once again, I was uh, downtown working uh, with people that are vulnerable, and this man comes to me and he shares with me, he says, do you know a pair of socks can save someone's life? I was like, never really heard that before. And I said, please share it with me. And he, this man was homeless. And he said, you know, what happens is, is the winter comes and our feet get wet. And if you can't get a new pair of socks, you get gangrene and you can get other infections in your feet. Now the problem is, is if winter comes and it's minus 40 and you're in your tent and that weather hits and you can't walk on your feet, you freeze to death. And so giving somebody a fresh pair of socks can literally save their life. And as you, like I was doing that literally today, like a couple of hours ago, we were feeding people in the inner city and giving them, you know, a beef on a bun. And I can't tell you how many times people experienced the love of God just by handing them something that they needed. They needed food. And that's what we're called to do. And so socks can save someone's life, but socks can also be a great gateway to share the love of God with them and invite them into the kingdom of God. That's good. And so uh, we're collecting socks tonight for Jeremy to hand out to people. And there's also a few places where churches that are collecting socks, I know Summit Church is collecting them for the next few weeks. Um, and there's a couple others on Facebook. So just go on Facebook and search Socks for Hope if you want to be involved with that. Um, but yeah, the kingdom, I love that. Thank you. Let's just thank Jeremy for coming and sharing what he did. That was awesome. I, I love Jeremy's stories because they just, they solidify the reality that God's kingdom isn't just confined to the church. It's not just confined to what we, what we, when we gather together. Yes, it's expressed when we gather together, but it's expressed for the purpose of what we carry, what we take out, how we live our lives. Um, I'm just going to end by this illustration, and then I'm going to pray for us. But um, the word apostle in the New Testament wasn't a Christian word. Jesus didn't make up the word apostle. It was actually a Roman word. An apostle was somebody that worked for Caesar, and what they would do is they would go into a community that Caesar was about to visit, and they would make that community feel like home when Caesar would arrive. And so you picture this, you picture the king is about to go to this town. And so he sends his apostles before him. The apostles go and they make the buildings look like Rome. They make the people talk like Romans. They say, you need to act this way, you need to look this way. So that when Caesar shows up, it's gonna feel like home for Caesar. That was the job of an apostle. How interesting is it that when Jesus chose his disciples, he called them apostles? Because their job was to go ahead of him and make the places that they go look like heaven. Their job was to go into the cities and to the towns and to transform those places so that when the king shows up, he feels right at home. 
And I, I love this. I, I started off with that whole kingdom story throughout the scriptures because that's the whole point. Of, uh, I, I don't think Jesus is going to return after the world gets so bad that he needs to destroy it. I think Jesus is going to return when the world looks so much like heaven that it just feels like he's coming home. I honestly believe that. You, you, you can ask me all day about my eschatology. I've studied a lot. I've read a lot of scriptures. I've read a lot. I heard a lot of different Bible teachers. I don't, I'm not a doomsday. The world's just going to get worse and worse. I think the whole world is going to hear about Jesus when every nation, tribe, and tongue heard about Jesus. When there's revival across the earth, that's when Jesus is going to come and make his residence here permanently. And the job of us, our job as followers of Jesus, is to be apostles, not, not capital A apostles like the ones that had the authority to write the scriptures. I'm not claiming that. I'm saying our job is to be like many apostles, wherever we go, to make that place look like heaven, to be carriers of the kingdom. One of the most profound encounters that I had, I've shared this at Resurgence before, but I, I need to share it again. I was in my office one day, and, and the janitor at our church, McKernan, was very prophetic. She came into my office, and she literally just looked at me, and she said, Donovan, you are a touchdown point of God's kingdom. I am a touchdown point of God's kingdom. We are touchdown points of God's kingdom. And so wherever we go, we carry the kingdom of God, when we are submitted to him as king, and when we seek the welfare of that place, seek the blessing of God to flow through us to that place. What I want to do tonight as we end is um, I, I want people who are in different areas of, of their workplaces, like if you're in, uh, in education, if you're a teacher, or if you're in healthcare, you're a nurse or a doctor, if you own your own business, if you're in the trades, whatever your, your kind of walk of life is, but you feel like you want to be commissioned as an, an apostle, as a mini apostle, carrying God's presence to that place, in a little while I'm going to ask you to stand. And then everyone who kind of feels like their calling is primarily to the church, like if you're a pastor or if you're a missionary or if you work for a ministry, what I want you to do is, is just look for those people standing around and just pray for them and just pray that God would send them into those places. And then what we're going to do is the worship team is going to come up. We're going to sing that song till the whole earth looks like heaven. And, and I just want us to like in unity just declare that promise together. And then, um, and then we're just going to end. We're not going to do a long, drawn-out time tonight um, because, because I, want, I would still want to make room for people that need prayer, so there will be a prayer team available after we're done, but the worship team's not going to be up on stage. There's going to be light music playing in here, so if you need prayer, there's going to be some people available for prayer after the song for individual prayer, um, but uh, so that's what we're going to do now, and so if you feel, again, I just want to, before I pray for you guys, I just, I just want to remind the kind of the big picture tonight is that as kingdom-minded people, we're called to be citizens of heaven who love Jesus' church and live out kingdom mission. That's, that's what I believe it is to be kingdom-minded. That's what I want us to be as people of resurgence. And I think if we all live that out, we'll see our churches changed. We'll see our city changed. And so worship team, you guys can come up. Um, but yeah, if you feel like what I've said about kind of an apostle kind of stirring in you to carry God's kingdom to your place of work, I want you to stand to carry his kingdom, his healing, his power, his love, his joy, his peace. If you want to embody that in your everyday life, I just want you to stand up. I think there's even some like moms or, or stay-at-home parents that are here. You carry his kingdom to your kids, to your family. I want you to stand too. This is awesome.
This is so good. All right, so those of you that are like called to ministry, called to the church, serving the church, I want you to just find somebody nearby you and like extend your hand towards them. And then we'll all join in prayer together for those people that are standing. And if you're not standing, that's totally fine. I just want you to ask, Holy Spirit, what is my place? Where do you want me to carry your kingdom? Where am I apostle to? Hmm. So yeah, Jesus, we just come before you now. And I just pray for each one of us, Lord God, that we would understand our identity as kingdom-minded people. Lord Jesus, that we would know that our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. We associate with heaven. We represent heaven wherever we go, Lord God. The kingdom of God is what we carry, what we represent. And so when people see us, they should see that we live under a king who loves, a king who blesses, a king who seeks the best and who calls us to that same way. And so, Lord, I just pray right now over everyone standing, Lord God, those people who feel that they are called to carry your presence into their place of work, into their classrooms, into their homes, into their businesses, into their trades. Mm. I pray, too, for those that just feel a calling to just do this every day. Like, there's some people that... um, there's some people that have just been kind of like, they, they just take the time to talk to people on the street. You, I want you to know God sees you and he, he, he knows those conversations and he honors those. So Lord God, I just commission everyone here, Lord, just with that apostolic calling, Lord Jesus, that calling to carry your kingdom, to prepare the way, Lord Jesus to make it look like heaven wherever we go, Lord God. I pray especially over our healthcare workers in this room, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, I pray that they would carry hands of healing. Lord God, I pray that they would bring peace and comfort and, and, um, and, and hope to, to places that feel so dark and desperate. Lord God, we pray for any healthcare workers in this room, Lord, that you would give them the peace that they need, Lord Jesus, the strength that they need for each day, Lord God. I just know so many, even personally, Lord, that are just so tired and just feeling at the end. Lord God, give them strength for each day. May they be people who carry your presence and your peace with them. May you give them all that they need to walk out the way you're calling them right now, Lord Jesus. I pray for business-minded people in this room, Lord God. Those that are entrepreneurs, maybe there's a few in here that have started their own businesses. Lord God, I just pray that their businesses would be places of uh, just kingdom principles, kingdom integrity, kingdom power, and even kingdom blessing, Lord God, that they would be generous, that that, that you would financially bless and prosper their businesses, that they may be generous for your kingdom, God. I pray for those uh, parents in this room, Lord that they would carry your kingdom to their kids, to their families, to their brothers and sisters. Lord Jesus, that they would be just such carriers of your kingdom, Lord, that their kids would would want that as well. And I pray too for, um, this feel also led to pray for students, Lord, those that are in school right now. Jesus, that you would help them to carry their kingdom in their schools. Lord, especially those environments that may be very hostile, towards the Christianity and, and the things that we talked about today. God, I just pray that, that they would learn how to speak truth and love, that they would learn how to, uh, to walk with integrity and boldness, even in the midst of, uh, of culture that says that they're wrong. 
be with the students in this room, Jesus. I pray for any government workers that may be here right now as well. Jesus, that you'd be ministering to them, that they would be able to carry the principles of the kingdom wherever they go in their influence, God. Again, not about making more power, but about being light in darkness. Thank you, Jesus. And now, Lord, as we uh, end this service in worship, God, we just proclaim we won't stop singing until the whole earth looks like heaven. And Lord God, show us in our hearts what may be causing division, either in our own churches or in relationships between churches, God. Show us in our own hearts what we may need to lay down and say, God, I just want to see the church in the city united. And Lord, show us what role you're calling us to play. And Lord, ultimately just help us to take our eyes off of the secondary things and fix our eyes on the primary thing. I just want to end by... um, Matthew 6, Jesus, you said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that we need will be gathered unto us. Jesus, may we seek your kingdom first. May we seek your kingdom first. Have your way in us, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of Resurgence. For more information, go to liveresurgence.com.